Welcome everybody to Field Recordings Episode 1. I'm Frank, this is Ben. Hey everybody. And uh, what we're going to do on this podcast is we're going to try to cover a, a bunch of different topics from sports, music, entertainment, movies, business. Yeah, we're going to have some entrepreneurs on here, we're going to have some writers on here, we're going to have some uh, kind of cultural icons on here someday. Yes, and try to not stay just in Buffalo, New York, but uh, branch out a little bit and get outside of the city area. Yeah, I mean, we're located in Buffalo. Uh, we're recording this from the heart of North Buffalo, uh, but, you know, we don't want this to be just Buffalo-centric. In the middle of a blizzard, too. It is. It's nasty outside today. So today's guest is Colin Dipkowski from the Buffalo News. He's their mm-hmm. art critic, correct? Yes, yes, he is. And, uh, Ben, do you want to share a story about uh, some fine art gallery yeah. settings? Yeah, I think if there's ever a good time to talk about our own experience with art, it'd be today. All right, so this happened many years ago, before I met my wife, actually. Uh, I was working... Get comfortable, folks. This could be long. Settle in. <laughs> I'll tell you about a little town called Dunkirk. <laughs> uh, well, I was living in Dunkirk, Dunkirk, New York, which is a exurb of Buffalo. I can hear yes. the cheers right now. Yeah. <laughs> All of them. Uh, so I was living in Dunkirk. Uh, this is before I met my wife. Uh, and I was at a bar in Fredonia, actually, uh, where SUNY Fredonia is located. I actually worked at SUNY Fredonia at the time, too. And I was trying to make time with a lady. Uh, who Are you, would, wait, did you say that? I did say that. Make time? Make time. Could you just say that you were having a conversation with someone? I, I was living there in the 30s. That's what we're talking <laughs> about. So, um, so I'm trying to talk this girl up, and uh, it turns out she's an art major. Uh, and I actually worked in the art center at Fredonia, so I thought like maybe I would have like some game there. And uh, she started talking about some of her favorite painters, and I didn't know who they were. And I just pretended I did, and I like nodded and agreed. And I was like, oh, yes, of course. Yeah. I think uh, we've all done that in a conversation before. And long, Especially at a bar. Yes. And long story short, uh, she asked me specific questions, which I simply could not answer, which proved that I was a liar. It was very embarrassing. So... Did you close the deal, though? No. God, no. Absolutely not. I think I ended up slinking home in shame shortly thereafter. I have a similar story about, I think it's the only, well, not the only time, but the only time I went as a spectator to a fine arts museum, it was at the um, Chicago Museum of Art. I guess that's the proper name for it. Uh, I went to visit a girl I met on spring break. So, uh, <laughs> spoiler Solid alert. relationship. Yeah, spoiler alert. It did not work out. Uh, <laughs> just a disclaimer for anybody who goes on spring break, just leave it in, on the beach. Yeah, this isn't um, Frank's wife that we're talking no, about. No, it is not. So I went to visit her, and she took me to the museum. And I just remember wearing an old pair of shoes, the only pair of dress shoes I owned at the time. <laughs> and it had rained, and they were the squeakiest shoes I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> and it, it was just resounding throughout the entire museum. It was the most embarrassing moment. And I just remember the only piece I wanted to see in that whole building was the one from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. If everybody remembers it, it's like that. Everybody out in the yard, in the grass, and then they keep zooming in and zooming in and zooming in. I don't know. I remember you know, I remember this. I remember them looking at it, but I can't yeah. remember the actual painting. I can't either, and I saw it in person. It wasn't that spectacular. <laughs> Memorable. But... Uh, I guess that's our point, and we're going to talk to Colin about this afterwards, is that there's a struggle to get mainstream people into these art galleries and to appreciate fine art, and I think there's a barrier there for the layman to enjoy this stuff. Uh, one of the studies I saw was, you know, we, we work in advertising, and some of the stuff we... You're a copywriter, right? I am. And so you have to check and make sure that your copy is at the reading level of, you know, your audience. A flash reading test, I believe it's called. There you go. And I saw a study of that of some of the museum websites, national museums, 
And the stuff, the copy on that site grades that a graduate school level where that's not your audience that are going that's going to this website that's just somebody who might want to visit in the future and get some yep. information some background and you're already alienating that audience by you know writing this stuff that nobody understands yeah i mean i think it's like eating your vegetables sometimes you know uh <clears throat> we know that we should we know that's important but we'd rather have candy or in frank in my case uh watch football <laughs> sometimes yes but that being said you know i think that I speak for both of us when I say that, you know, we enjoy the arts. Uh, I don't think that we're going to pretend that we're experts. Uh, that's why we're talking to Colin today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's going to kind of clue us in on some of the things happening here in Buffalo, uh, both in the local gallery scene, uh, kind of the local political scene, how uh, arts are being supported uh, by our local politicians, uh, and kind of fill us in on, on, on himself. I think that's my favorite part of the podcast today, actually. I like to talk to other writers and kind of find out like how they got to where they are today. Uh, All right, Hemingway. Well, let's wrap it up, and we're going to talk <laughs> to Colin Hemingway, next. You. And a big shout-out to the girl that shot Ben down in 1985 at a Fredonia bar. You could, have been, you could have been part of this action, honey. Sorry. So where are you from? Uh, I grew up in Lockport. Oh, Frank. Oh, all right. What year did you graduate? Uh, for I graduated from Star Point in two thousand. Okay, Star Point. So I was yeah. at Lockport High. Right. Oh, you're the one other of those. Side of the tracks. Yeah, yes. we don't. Yeah, we don't get along. <laughs> it's, all right. it's okay. Uh, you know those those rivalries run deep. Yeah. You know? <laughs> There's not much to do in Lockport except for have rivalries. Right. So yeah. you know how we get through life. So uh, I mean, Lockport actually, the Keenan Center is a nice place. But uh, you don't think specifically like Lockport, Star Point, and necessarily being like you know big arts communities, and I could be wrong about that. Um, How did you kind of get involved with those things? Well, in in high school, I wasn't really that involved in visual art-wise. I was on, like, the stage crew for drama club and stuff like that. What, what, what was did you do? School. Name a musical that you did. Uh, I did Oliver. Nice. I did Grease. Uh, what else did I do? Various talent shows, things okay. like that. Cool. Um, so I was, like, an MC-type person for a couple of things. Nice. Um, but uh, visual art-wise, I didn't really... Start getting into that until college. Where did you but, go to school? Uh, I went to Syracuse University, so graduated in 2004, and that's when I kind of um, started hanging out with the art kids and uh, getting into what painting was. You know, I hadn't really had a concept of it in high school, you know, the breadth of the art scene. So in college is where I started picking that up a lot. Um, but obviously in Buffalo is where that really started, um, you know, getting into my, my entire way of life, you know. <laughs> Being involved in the art scene here has been a, a revelation. How what was that process like then for you in college? Like how did you just kind of make some friends who happened to have like uh, arts interests, the visual arts interests, and you kind of just followed that path from there, or did you have a moment where you like, were captured by like a, an image you saw or something along those lines? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it happened a couple of different ways. Uh, a good friend of mine that I was that lived in my dorm was a, a art major, okay. so. Uh, she'd take me to like the v- it was called VPA Visual Performing Arts School exhibitions and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then another uh, really important thing was I was a production assistant. Uh, I shot videos and did sound for campus events and things like. That. One of them was a design series where artists and designers came in and gave speeches. So from all over the world, I mean, these they flew them from anywhere. They must have had like an unlimited budget because the people they brought in were just crazy. So. Much different than SUNY Fredonia, where I went. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, I don't limited know. Budget in but yeah, so that was what kind of like, you know, when you're a, a freshman in college and you don't know anything about the world and somebody comes in as a guest speaker and just totally blows your mind. Mm-hmm. Like that happened to me every other week, 
you know, so it was like pretty intense uh, because I had this video production, video production job. I wasn't even taking the class, but I was sort of bouncing around campus to all these different disciplines from business to like art. Mm-hmm. So I got kind of a sampling of the art world that way, um, which was awesome. That is awesome. Uh, kind of concurrent with that, did you know at that time that you wanted to be a writer also? That yeah, like? that was, I mean, more than I knew I, I ever wanted to cover art or theater, I knew I wanted to get into journalism. Okay. So that's why I went to Syracuse. I had written for my, um, this cheesy humor column for my high school newspaper called Down on the Farm, which is what we call Starpoint, the farm. Do you still have those somewhere? Uh, yeah, I do, but I will, no one's ever going to see them. <laughs> I'll burn them before anyone ever gets to read them again. Um, but I'm sure some enterprising person could dig them up if they really wanted to. I think that's one of the funny things, by the way, about stuff that, that all, all of us are writers at some level, that, that you write when you're younger, that you're humiliated at the thought that someone would ever see that again. Yeah, But exactly. at the same time, you can't get rid of it. You will hold on to it forever because it's still interesting. You kind of look back. And exactly. Stuff and kind of I think that about stuff I, I wrote last week, frankly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because like sometimes I'll cringe when I read stuff and it's like, you have to bang it out. You have a deadline. Yes. So you might not be 100% happy with it, but that's what the business is. You just have to get it out. And Absolutely. Live with the consequences, <laughs> whatever those might be. They say that's a sign of good creatives too, that yeah. you have that gap where you look at something a year ago and if it doesn't make you cringe, it's a bad sign. Yeah, so, exactly. Positive. Most of my stuff, <laughs> in some way. <laughs> I'm happy with a few things, but yeah. it's a small percentage, I would say. Absolutely. Well, Frank and I both work in advertising and uh, the same agency, and we were talking about uh, the Addy Awards that are coming up uh, in a couple months here, and we're kind of reviewing some stuff that we wanted to submit uh, for the Addies, and you know, we're having a hard time doing it. I don't think it's because our work is bad, I hope. Hopefully, and we were saying this to each other because you look at your own creative work and you can see the holes in it, you know, more than you can see sometimes. Exactly. What's what's great about it, you see the problems that you know. Gosh, if I had had another week to work on this, or if we had a little bit more resources, then this could have been what I really, really wanted it to be instead of what came up. Exactly, but you know, it's like that's the the world we live in is we have deadlines and we have to get stuff out the door, and um, it also helps to have that pressure because otherwise you might be. You might never finish anything, so it's this this constant push and pull um, for creative people, especially, but also for journalists and people in advertising. You know, it's a it's a constant challenge. The more specific the formula, paradoxically, the greater the freedom. Sometimes, I mean, with applies to playwriting, to visual art, to anything that we do, which is kind of sad because when you're in that box, it feels like I want more freedom. But then when you're outside the box, it's like, I want more structure. <laughs> you're never happy. That's funny. That's exactly true. Um, so you finished up at Syracuse. Uh, when did you get back into Buffalo? Well, after Syracuse, I took like a road trip, you know, that people do um, after, after school um, for a few months. So I bounced around visiting friends from school. And then after that, um, I came back and worked at Barnes & Noble and Wegmans. <laughs> which, which, ones? which ones? I worked at the Barnes & Noble, no longer exists, on uh, Transit Road. Okay. And the Wegmans just down the street from that. So I did Barnes & Noble during the day and the Wegmans freezer section, <laughs> Stockboy, at night. Nice. So that lasted for a couple of months, and I was like, well, I better get the hell out of here. So I moved to San Francisco um, to work for a small publishing company because this opportunity arose to work with one of, um, one of my favorite authors, Dave Eggers. So I went out there and worked for him for about a year and then moved to New Orleans to work on another uh, oral history book about Hurricane Katrina. And that was the point at which like, my predecessor at the news, Richard Huntington, who used to review... Um, primarily visual art, but then theater at the end of his career, too, 
retired, so they were look, hunting around for, for somebody. Um, that must have been replacing a legend. Must have been. Oh my God, I still, <laughs> I still, I'm like trying to fill his shoes someday. I'll be lucky if I ever do it because that guy is, to me, he's a hero. He, he could write so well at length about so many different topics. And yeah, so it was like a, not a, not straight from school to the paper kind of situation. I did bounce around and work for a few different places and live a few different places. But I came back here in, in 2007. Have you been reading the Daily Public since it came out, or the Public? I guess would be. Oh yeah, absolutely. Thoughts? Uh, I'm enjoying it, the hell out of it. Yeah. I mean, Jeff Kelly is one of the most talented journalists in Western New York. I think most people who are journalists in Western New York would agree with that. Um, and he really whipped our voice into shape. You know, when he came back from Pittsburgh. So sad to see him leave our voice because he he kind of turned the paper into, um, for a while, a, a must read. But now the Daily Public is, um, I'm not supposed to say this because I'm like from the corporate daily or whatever, but I appreciate its existence. You know, I think it's important to have a healthy um, ecosystem here. Uh, our voice wasn't, you know, in a, in a spot to provide that. Um, so what Jeff and Corey and all those guys are doing at the Daily, at the Public and the Daily Public online is, is, is fun to watch. And they're keeping me on my toes, God knows, and the rest of us. Their competition for us, right? So, uh, which we haven't really had in a while, right? Do you uh, do any writing outside of the news? Like, are you working on anything, like a, like a script or a play, or do you do anything for fun, like just to kind of pursue your own? I at the moment not really. I'm teaching a class at Madai this semester on social mm-hmm. media, so that's like occupying a lot of my brain space right now. Um, but I've been pretty much like a company guy for like <laughs> the longest time, and yeah. I haven't had a need or honestly a desire to go outside the paper um lately i've i've considered a few things like i had i had a piece that ran in the atlantic's online thing last year they asked me to do for like an end of the year blurb okay. um but i haven't really pursued outside opportunities because this art scene keeps me so busy and the theater scene um there's just more than any one person could cover so to me it feels like i should invest most of or if not all, my effort on that, because inevitably I miss things. Even if I spent 100% of my time doing it, I'd miss important things. So it's hard for me to try to take time away from that. Interesting. That actually kind of transitions very cleanly. Thank you very much. <laughs> and to some of the other things I wanted to talk about, to kind of the next level of questions here, which uh, you know, going through a lot of your recent work, there was a, I saw the piece you did about, uh, kind of a blurb on, on Tina Dillman's work uh, mm-hmm. that she's doing on the West Side. Uh David Moog, I get, is it Moog or Moog? I think it's Moog. I think it is Moog, the company Moog, right? Yeah. Um, but about the, the exhibition that he's doing uh, at the Albright Knox Art Gallery, kind of in the basement, it sounds like, right? Well, or, so this, it's not in the basement, but it's in this corridor that connects a couple of galleries. It's yes. uh, sort of out-of-the-way space. So I guess the question is, how do you kind of pick and choose what you're going to write about when there's so much going on around town? And then do you kind of come down to... You know, these two specific things, uh, they're not, I guess, you know, quote-unquote big. They're not, like, huge events happening around town. Uh, yeah. You know, how do you kind of decide, like, amongst all of, like, kind of the smaller uh, underground stuff, it, while at the same time there's a lot of this bigger stuff going on? Yeah. Like, is it just stuff that catches your attention specifically? Uh, you know, relationships that you have, uh, how does it work? It works a bunch of different ways. In general, zooming out, like, as far as possible, the scene is this crazy, uh, diverse ecosystem. So I try to get to the small stuff that you've never heard of, as well as 
you know, the huge exhibits at the Albright Knox yeah. or the shows at Shea's Performing Arts Center. Um, I spend a lot of time at the Albright Knox, the Birchfield Penny, Shea's, and the big theater companies because that's what people are interested in and what they read. Yeah. But at the same time, like, when there's an opportunity, I try to branch out to, to the smaller places like your 464s or um, Dreamland I haven't gotten to yet. Um, the public beat me the punch on that one. <laughs> um, although I did, I wrote about it a little during the infringement festival last year. Um, but I think like my approach is not scientific or anything, but I just, I try to look at what I've done lately mm-hmm. and how long has it been since I've, um, covered something off the beaten path. Um, and I do try to inc- consciously incorporate that into my work as a counterpoint to, you know, is this the eighth story about the Albright Knox right. this month? Um, because people can get tired of that. Um, but it's a constant sort of reevaluation. Uh, the scene's growing so fast. Yeah. That's like you, you, you always have to recalibrate what you're doing on almost a weekly basis. Do you feel a certain level of, and since your audience is so big, do you feel a certain level of responsibility to kind of unearth some of these things and to you know, show the people you know, who might not know about these things otherwise what's going on out there? You know, if someone is reading the paper from Depew or Fredonia or, you know, some out-of-the-way place. Does it feel important Lockport, to you? Even. Lockport, even. Lockport. Oh, way out in the boonies in Lockport. <laughs> I say that lovingly as a Lockport person. But is it important to you to kind of show people like what's happening you know, yeah. below the surface? It's not, yeah, it's important to me for sure, but it's all more, more important than that. I, I think it's like the most fun part of my job yeah. is to go explore out-of-the-way places, unexpected places, and talk to people who are way off the radar, which is why one of my favorite things in the world to do is cover the Infringement Festival yeah. which is like this mass excavation of all the weirdos in Buffalo, like <laughs> thrown up into the mainstream for one week or 11 days every summer. Um, and that's nice. It's convenient for me because it's all presented before me and I don't have to do a lot of work. Right. Um, but I also do, I don't get to do this nearly enough. So some the avant-garde people listening to me don't probably don't like me that much because they think I don't spend enough time on it. But right. it's always something that I'm trying to do to get to the, the next place, the underground place, um, or uh, dig up themes, people, artwork, plays that are way, way off the radar. So what's, uh, what are some things that are kind of catching your eye right now that may be a little bit off the radar uh, that people may not necessarily, the things that maybe you haven't even necessarily written about in the paper yet? Well, there's like every weekend it seems like there's a show at High Temp Fabrication that I don't write about because uh, I tend not to write a lot about shows that you have to that are one shot deals okay. like on a Friday night. There's so there's a lot of pop up shows that are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a pop up show is for people who may not. Oh sure, a pop up show is like a show that happens pretty much for one night, maybe two days, uh, in a typically like a raw, undeveloped or, or underdeveloped space. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Benjamin Gallery Gallery did one of those in Larkinville. Well, they planned it for Larkinville, but had to move it because of the weather. Mm-hmm. I think to high temp. Um, but there, there are more and more of those, and I'm sure ones that I don't even hear of that are mm-hmm. out of the way. Um, the underground here is, it's like infinite. Mm-hmm. The, you know, music scene-wise, there's just a gazillion basement shows that are never pop up in any calendar, um, and that's a lot of punk and stuff like that. Yeah. But stuff I don't cover. Right. Um, and art, but art-wise, it's the same thing. People hold salons and get-togethers that are informal. Um, all over the place. And in terms of new venues, there's a lot popping up. I mean, from Body of Trade and Commerce Gallery on Niagara Street, which is sort of like the, a very official commercial gallery, mm-hmm. um, to other spaces like Dreamland um, in, in Allentown that are kind of DIY. 
the new Sugar City across the street from yeah. from Resurgence and BTNC. So, and that's the tip of the iceberg. I suspect in the next year we're going to see um, a pretty healthy influx of new DIY spaces and projects and stuff like that. Tina Dillman has her her house, her residency project on the west side where she's inviting artists from around the country to come do mini residencies out of her house, you know. So there's all kinds of weird, cool stuff like that happening. How do you have advice for people who might want to get involved in seeing some of this or experiencing some of this weird, cool stuff that maybe they're not part of the scene or want to kind of find ways to, you know, make that part of their life but just aren't sure how to approach it? I would say, like, I sympathize with those people because artwork can seem pretty intimidating. Um, And it's not by virtue of, like, any one individual's, like, attempt to be intimidating. But it's just, like, when you add it all up, the white gallery walls, the um, unreadable artist statements and curator (laughs) statements that are written, might as well be written in German, which we have way too much of here in Buffalo. (laughs) It's a huge problem. Um, It's intimidating. Uh, But once you go in the space, you grab a beer, you walk around, and it becomes immediately, you know, the myth of, of, of it being truly intimidating kind of evaporates as you, like, hang out with just normal people like you would at a bar, drinking, talking right. about what's in front of you. So I think often people feel like they have to have some complex, like, intellectual reaction to what they see on the wall or else right. it's not, you know, valid. But do you like it? Do you not like it? Uh, if you don't, you know, finish your beer and go to one of the other 18 gallery openings that are happening that night, you know, uh, inevitably you find something you like. It's uh, a lot more fun than going to Regal, you know, uh, (laughs) or watching Netflix. Uh, so to me, it's like, it appeals to adventurous people. The intimidation factor is there. It's hard to overcome. Are people just not interested in in art in the city, the way that we kind of talk about ourselves as being, what do you think? Yeah, I think there's a lot of factors. I put a lot of blame on the art world. I think I'm sort of like in not in good company. I'm one of the only people who, I think that I, some people would say that I overblame the art community, you know, the art world for sure. being elitist and off-putting. Um, but there's a lot of other factors at work too. I mean, it's not, it's a cultural shift that applies, you know, to all the arts, not just visual. Um, people are staying home more. Yeah, they have less money. That's true. Um, wages have been flat forever. So um, I think uh, there's a million things that play into it. Um, I don't necessarily buy the fact that attention spans are, sh- are shrinking. I think this is like a complicated argument. Right. But for me, it's like all those things, the, the economy, the fact that um, the art world hasn't done very little to endear itself to the, the common man, <laughs> um, or at least not actively work to do that, which I think is necessary in some ways. Um, all of that means that people feel like art's not for them, even though it's specifically for them you know it's like that's why artists do what they do uh, to connect with new audiences what can be done i guess to tie in more people in buffalo with what's happening in the arts and cultural scene it's a very complicated question and i I like five minutes answer. (laughs) (laughs) yeah we'll try to keep it concise like like most people who are really thrilled at what's happening in buffalo i'm also guilty of being a bit rah-rah about the renaissance in certain ways which is fair i think in a lot of ways yeah seeing things that we never thought would happen in our world yes what's our world right it's a very narrow slice of the city um and with all the talk about this development and that the niagara medical campus canal side whatever building Palladino um, is building, you know, or uh, Benderson. Um, That's 
uh, supply side argument. It doesn't apply to Buffalo. There's not going to be any, at least as I can see, there's no trickle down effect to the most um, poor sections of the city, right. which ought to be our primary concern or one of our, you know, top five concerns. Right. Uh, the fact that we're one of the poorest countries and uh, poorest cities in the United States. You know, we're not. So it helps to zoom out and have a little perspective sometimes because, you know, all this stuff that's happening in Buffalo, the resurgence breweries and the Blue Monks and the yep. Hydraulic Hearths, Larkinville, etc. Um, they are, they apply only to sections of the city that were already quite better off and now they're even better off. It's sort mm-hmm. of like, if you can afford to buy real estate, well, good for you. You're going to make a lot of money. Right. Uh, for basically just sitting there and letting the property value increase, you know? So in terms of like, I think it's important to recognize like we have to explore more ways to transfer this, the benefits of the Renaissance to a wider swath of the population. And that's like, there are too few people thinking about that. I think in Western New York, uh, do people generally accept criticism as part of being in the arts world? Is it very personal where they kind of, shun you after that or it takes a while to rebuild the relationship uh, and it's a difficult thing because a lot of us I feel like in you know non-media positions uh, you know, we go a lot of our lives trying not to offend people <laughs> you know and part of your job is sometimes you have to say things that people don't want to hear yeah. how do you kind of deal with that on a relationship level uh, I tell you it's difficult yeah. I mean it's all of the above I've had reactions I've, people still didn't talk to me um, probably never will yeah. I have people who argue with me and I love that, that the best I mean, you want to have a, a debate with me over email about one of my reviews? Fantastic. Uh, like you engage? Like, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, privately, I, I, I do. I've um, less and less in a public forum. Um, yeah. I sometimes I jump into the cesspool that is the <laughs> Buffalo News comment section um, because there are sometimes intelligent responses in there that merit merit a reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's very tough. I'm, I gotta tell you, it takes a lot out of you emotionally. I'd be lying if I told you otherwise. Right. I mean, it's uh, it, it's a difficult part of the job, um, but it's necessary. I mean, I think that it's if you're gonna be a critic, you might as well be honest. As difficult as that can be in a town sure. as small as Buffalo, and it can be difficult because you get people doing just all kinds of wacky things. I won't even get into it, but it's <laughs> it makes life hard sometimes. True. Um, but I can't boohoo too much because it's a great job, um, and it's uh, it comes with the territory. Right, and people aren't going to respect you if you take a milk toast point of view on everything that comes up. Then also, they, yeah, because then what's the point of doing it in right. the first place? There is no point. You know, I think that critic Eric Bentley said something to the effect of um, the only alternative to a, a razor tongue is a mealy mouth. You know. Yeah. So I'd rather have a razor tongue. So. I wanted to ask you, uh, kind of get ready to wrap up here, uh, you know, if there's anything going on at the local galleries, uh, anything in theaters right now that uh, you kind of uh, recommend for our listening audience or, or, you know, on a macro level, 2015 in general, anything big coming up that you want to kind of keep an eye out for yourself and that other people should look for too? Um, sure. Like right now, I would recommend people go see the Alexander O. Levy show at the Birchfield Penny. Yes. Uh, this um, fantastic forgotten painter from Buffalo's Golden Age. Um, it's a beautiful show. If you know nothing about art, you're going to love it. You know, it's just like these gorgeous paintings of society ladies and 
magazine covers and everything you can imagine uh, from Buffalo's like sort of the the age of Larkin's supremacy and he was the art director of the Larkin company so that's what I recommend Helen Frankenthaler at the Albright Knox is up for a while more and uh, Paul Feely show uh, both abstract painters uh, who were connected um, phenomenal show um, and then looking forward at 2015 there's a lot of cool stuff happening but I think the thing to watch is the Albright Knox they're going to be um, most likely uh, kicking off their their uh, plan to build a new uh, edition which mm-hmm. is a uh, big news for them you know uh, it's the Buffalo's best hope for a new piece of real contemporary architecture uh, that would put it in league with other cities with new new buildings. We have a lot of new buildings that are in the suburban style, but we don't right. have a lot of contemporary buildings. Okay. Uh, and theater-wise, it's going to be Shea's biggest year ever. I mean, people are going to love Phantom of the Opera, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. We have our Chicago tickets already. Yes, there you go. <laughs> Me too. I love Chicago. Yeah. Uh, and the theater scene is going to um, be great. Uh, Torn Space will have another... Uh, site-specific uh, show at Silo City over the summer. Great. Silo City, as for the past three years, is like the place to be. Um, so I'd keep an eye on that. Um, and I'm sure there's going to be a ton of surprises, too, because people have a little more spending money now. They have more funding from the government. Mm-hmm. They've got more funding from, from uh, philanthropies. So there's going to be more and better art this year than, there's, than we've seen in a couple decades. Excellent. All right. Well, Colin, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Great.